Happy Sunday! Welcome to our discussion with Beaverton School Board Zone 1 candidate Jeanette Shada. Shada discusses the harm of comprehensive sex education and critical race theory. She also talks about her plans to bring back career and technical education into Beaverton schools, opening schools up full-time, and getting politics out of our education system. It's worth noting that Shada has been given these questions ahead of time. I start off by asking Shada to tell us a little bit about herself. Enjoy! So go ahead, Jeanette. Fantastic. Yeah, she did. And actually, uh, a lot of them, uh, I was researching well before Lauren uh, asked me the question. So it's, it's good that she had those questions there. Because um, when I decided to run for school, well, let me backtrack because I see someone's question there um, on what inspired me to run. And that kind of goes in my story a little bit. So um, I'll get there in just a second. But first, I've been an educator for 23 years in the education system. I've been uh, a teacher's assistant pretty much directly out of high school, working with um, foster youth kids who, as some of you may know or may not, foster youth go from home to home, which means they're going from school to school as well. And that is a huge disruption to their education. And so I was working with them with their reading, writing, and uh, arithmetic skills. And uh, that got me hooked because I originally wanted to go in pre-med and do a pediatric. I've always wanted to work with kids, but being a pediatrician, then I was like, eh, maybe I'll be a, a pediatric physical therapist. And as I was doing my um, tutoring and, and uh, teacher's assistant and things like that, I was like, you know, I'd rather see kids be healthy and help them grow that way than have some other issues uh, with pediatricians watching kids die and stuff like that. I don't want to do that. So uh, that's the road I take went way down in the pay scale in regards to that. I then got my bachelor's degree from California State University, Sacramento in liberal studies, which is elementary education. So I was able to go through all the child development courses, which really helped me for the rest of my career, it set me up to understand the developmental phases of children all the way through adolescence. And then I moved to, or during that time, once I got my bachelor's degree, I was substitute teaching because I had my daughter the um, last semester that I was in college. So I took 20 units the one semester I was pregnant had her three weeks early because of all that stress, and then 19 units the semester after that, and uh, finished college, then started substitute teaching because I wanted to be able to be at home with my kids, but also still have the opportunity to work. So I worked in K through 12 schools um, for quite a while. Then we moved to Oregon, to Central Oregon in Lapine, and here in Oregon, you can't substitute teach unless you have your teaching credential. So that prompted me to go back to school and Oregon State University had his very first cohort in the Cascade campus uh, up in Bend. And I had three weeks to get my stuff together. And if you know about getting letters of recommendation and applying to a master's program, that is virtually impossible, but it happened. I got in, uh, interviewed, got into the program and 
got my credential and my master's all in one. And there I studied a lot more about brain-based learning and how the brain functions and how it works on learning things um, as children go through uh, from pre-K all the way up through adolescence. So it added to my repertoire. Then after that, I got my first job with uh, Gilcrest School, taught there for a year and the economy crashed. And my husband uh, was on the verge of losing his job. So we moved back to California where I worked in a 95% black charter school for about a year and a half. A teacher ended up injuring herself and they hired me for that half year. And then they liked my work. So they hired me for the next year and then I moved on to uh, a regular public school, uh, Title I school. I've, pretty much my whole career, I've worked in Title I schools. And then from there, we moved to Texas. Uh, my husband's job moved us there. He works for Intel. And we moved to Texas. And I worked in an um, alternative school for four years. And then the last year that I was there, I worked back on a regular campus. So I have worked with a very diverse uh, population of students uh, from behavioral issues to Title I through to uh, huge working with the BIPOC community. And um, I'm very comfortable uh, teaching. I'm very comfortable with working with students. And it just was a very right fit when I moved here. I did get my credential back here. It, it had expired. And when we moved here in October 2019, um, I renewed my credential before I moved here, knowing I was going to move here, thinking, oh, I'll go back in the classroom. Landed here, started looking at the political landscape, realized some changes need to be made. And so that is when I started looking at the school board in about October, November last year, when the election cycle was going. And I had some people encouraging me to do so. And I said, you know, I might be able to do this. And then at the end of January, or sorry, beginning of January, I was working with a group who was looking for candidates for the Beaverton School Board. So I looked at the maps very carefully and found out it was in zone one. And so I said, okay, we're gonna go, we're gonna do this. And threw my hat in the ring um, with my background, with my education, there is not one person on the school board right now or one person running. Well, no, there is one other person running who does have a teaching background, um, but she agrees with a lot of things that are in the schools currently and doesn't think they need to change. And I think they do need to change. So that is a little bit about me in a nutshell. So. Yeah. Wow, that's really fascinating. <clears throat> so just um, a broad question to start off with is what are the responsibilities or powers of the Beaverton School Board? Yeah, so any school board out there, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be in Beaverton. Uh, they make or break policy. So the policy, think of it as a law on the um, state level or as a uh, statute on a citywide level. So the school board makes the policy. And that policy is what teachers are supposed to follow, the superintendent's supposed to follow um, in regards to, and, and other people working in the district need to follow to make sure that for the safety and care of the children. 
Um, the school board also adopts or gets rid of curriculum as well. So they curriculum committees are developed and then they present that curriculum to the school board. School board members, um, at least one is supposed to be on the curriculum adoption committee and um, school board members also hire or fire the superintendent. A lot of people think the superintendent is the one in charge of the school board. And over the last few years in all the states I've worked in, that's the way it appears, but really the school board is the governing body of the school district. And um, it's very important for us to get the community involved to determine what they want for their district. Yeah, and where is zone one of the Beaverton School District? Yeah, so let me share my screen here and show everybody a map. So this is, this is I, I did a lot of uh, uh, evaluation of the maps. And so I added in these veins and rows because it was super, super light. And so right now, here is zone one. This is... Um, Highway 217 running through here with Southwest Denny, Allen Boulevard, Southwest Hall Boulevard, all the way down 121st, that's where I live, um, and over here. So I'm on the very tail end of this zone one here. And uh, so this zone is up for election right now. Zone four is up for election. Zone five is up for election. And zone two is up for election. And uh, currently, Leanne Larson and Susan Greenberg, who will be my opponent, are the only two remaining. Anne Bryan and Donna Tyner are choosing not to run this round. And um, so that's where we sit. Leanne Larson does have somebody running against her. Um, up here in zone two, there's one person who has filed so far. And let me stop sharing and I can show you because uh, I learned with Zoom, you have to stop sharing and reshare. Um, oh, where'd that, hold on one minute. Let me get it up on, I thought I had it up and, oh, there it is, it's right there. Um, so now let me reshare on what it looks like. So this is from the Washington County site and right here is Beaverton School District. So we have Susan Greenberg, myself, Karen Perez de Silva, Sunita uh, Garg, Leanne Larson, and with um, Ugana, uh, I don't know how to pronounce that last name and I don't want to slaughter it. So, so that's, these are the people so far. There is someone that I know of that is going to apply for zone four. We currently do not have anybody for zone two to run against Karen Perez de Silva. So, that is the current situation of the school board map. And all the um, school board people are liberal? Currently, um, there are quite a few uh, progressives on the school board. Um, and But we are nonpartisan in in nature uh, but obviously there's some views who are more progressive than others um, which is getting our schools where they're sitting at right now with um, comprehensive sexuality education and critical race theory aspects coming in 
which is very scary on both aspects for the simple fact of understanding child development and brain-based learning. That stuff is not good for our children. Um, and I could go a little bit more in depth with that if you'd like. Yeah, we'll get into that a little later, but um, just to be clear, so you mentioned that the candidates are running on nonpartisan. Um, so how are you running on, you're more of a conservative candidate, so isn't that partisan? No, it's not. Um, most people say conservatism, Republican, and that's not necessarily the case. There are conservative Democrats. It just depends on uh, them looking at the platform and conservatism runs the span of all party lines. So if you look at libertarian, there's conservatives there, Democrats, there's conservatives there. Some are fiscally conservative. Some might be a little bit more socially conservative, but conservatism runs the uh, across party lines. So even though I'm running on a conservative ticket, um, it does not play into the politics of Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, things like that. Yeah, and so now going into the um, what you were talking about before, what are three goals you're looking to complete by the end of your term? Yeah, thanks for asking that. Uh, goal number one, which is fairly immediate, is to get schools open full five days. Uh, there's a lot of discussion around this uh, with the loss in educational opportunities, the loss in learning that's going on. I just read an article today that uh, they uh, study that came out from, I think it was Stanford, that was talking about 30% reduction in reading ability for third graders. Uh, and that is not good uh, when it comes to school because that just widens the gap. And if you think about it in Title I schools where the parents are typically um, single moms or single dads, and typically um, they're working so much that they're not there to be able to really help their kids uh, with that reading opportunity. Also with CDL, um, a lot of these kids um, are put into um, uh, daycare centers, and the daycare centers, most of them are not focused because it's 35 kids on computers and with one or two uh, adults in the room. So we are having great learning losses here. So we have to get kids back in. There's also a huge spike in suicidal ideation, huge spike in uh, eating disorders. And uh, so the social, emotional, uh, academic, mental, all that, we have to get kids back into school full five days. And hopefully OSHA and OHA relaxes the restrictions next week from six foot to three feet and uh, makes it to where they ha could have more interactions beyond a hundred uh, individuals at schools. If they do that, we could get all kids back into schools. Um, my next goal, a little longer, well, the next couple goals, longer term, and you know, I think they'll span a little bit longer than four year term. Um, and so the first one is to get politics out of education and social agendas out of education. They have no place in education. Children's minds are young and they're impressionable. And when we have a curriculum like comprehensive sexuality education, 
which asks kindergartners and third graders and eighth graders to question their sexuality, that is not okay. Um, their brains are not fully develop, developed. In kindergarten, they barely know the difference between a boy and a girl. Um, in third grade, the uh, from what I've been reading from the Great Body Shop, well, let me backtrack. In kindergarten, they're teaching them the anatomical names. Uh, first of all, sexual education at that age from kindergarten through fourth, fifth grade should be in the home. It needs to lie in the responsibilities of the parents or the families uh, where the child lives. Um, and in kindergarten, they're teaching the anatomical parts. And that's not the role of, of school. That's not the role of public education. Um, in third grade, they're teaching them that touching themselves is okay with the bathing suit on, things like that. Um, the things that I've seen with my own eyes is absolutely astounding. Now, do we need sex education in schools? Yes, we do. And but it needs to be health classes and biology classes at the older grade levels. Um, I would say fifth grade, the lowest up into high school. Um, and parents need the option to opt their children out if they don't want it, because there are a lot of different values and religious views and things like that. And we need to respect all parents because public education is for everybody. Um, then the last goal is to increase career and technical education. Um, Beaverton, once upon a time, as I've been doing my research and talking to older folks in the district who have been around for many, many years and had kids graduate and some of them graduated themselves from Beaverton schools, um, used to have a very robust career and technical education program. We're talking about wood shop, um, metalworking shop, cosmetology, uh, mechanics, uh, medical aspects. And when the pendulum shifted, about when I started getting into high school, so in the 90s, um, the, it shifted to more of college and college readiness. Well, there are kids out there who are dropping out of school because they absolutely are bored with school. They don't like the reading, writing, arithmetic, which they need, obviously, but um, if they had career and uh, career and technical education courses, then we would retain them more. I was just looking at the statistics earlier today uh, before I went out block walking on the graduation rates, and they're roughly about 86% overall. But if you break it down with the different uh, race and ethnic groups, um, the BIPOC community has a lower graduation rate than uh, let's say the Asian or uh, white community. And that we have to turn around. And how do we do that? With career and technical education. When I worked in Texas, we had a very robust career and technical education program in the district I worked in. And kids were gradu graduating with cosmetology degree with their medical uh, billing or medical um, transcribing not degree, sorry, certificates, their mechanic certificates. That means they're immediately employable upon graduating high school. And uh, that's what we need here in Oregon. Not only that, Oregon is uh, at the bottom half educationally. I've seen it anywhere from fifth from the bottom to 36, uh, rated 36. Um, so we're somewhere in between there at the bottom half. And we need to get our educational system up and Beaverton school districts can be the leading road to that with being the third largest district in the state. Yeah, 
And you mentioned um, some of the problems within the Beaverton School District. Could you expand on some specific problems and um, why they're problems? Yeah, so this last week, uh, Beaverton School District just had a um, community discussion around race is what they talked about. And I signed up for two different um, uh, sessions. There's the first session, then you have the breakout session with just the students, and then the last session. And the first session I went to was questioning your whiteness or something about whiteness in there. And I was absolutely appalled with what they were teaching. Um, it comes from critical race theory, which is uh, a cancer throughout our whole entire country right now. And it used to just be in colleges. It's now going down to our schools, all the way down to kindergarten. Um, I've talked to several teachers in the district who um, do not like what they're being taught. Uh, critical race theory itself is racist. It is very divisive. It is uh, a U-turn from the uh, civil rights era and we need to stop it. And that is one thing that I'm looking at. And unfortunately, Beaverton School District has completely embraced this between that. And then the second session I went to had to do with why Black Lives Matter organization curriculum, their education curriculum is important in schools with their 13 precepts. And the first thing they did in this particular breakout session was put up these questions of agree or disagree. And they're worded in such a way where it's like, yeah, I agree to that. Every single one of them I agree to. And then they tied them to the Black Lives Matter uh, concepts. But those concepts are civil rights concepts and they're twisting them. So they're taking a truth and adding in some lies into there. And that is not okay. And for anybody to have to question who they are because of their skin color, their ethnicity, their uh, gender identification, anything, we should not be having anybody question that to belittle them. Schools are becoming very um, divisive and not safe havens of learning like they should be. And we have to get that out of our schools. Um, I am very much an advocate for the civil rights movement and how they did it back then. It wasn't perfect. We can definitely add to that, especially where we know uh, or what we know now, but unity, tolerance, acceptance is what we need. And early on in my career, I would, had the privilege of going to the US Holocaust Museum for three days. I was selected in the Pacific Northwest out of 25 applicants, only three got to go. And I was one of the three that was selected to go. And that um, teaching that I got about tolerance and acceptance of others and how to teach the Holocaust in a respectful manner, we need to do that across the board. And that even goes down to talking about slavery. Slavery has been around since the pretty much the beginning of time when, when um, if you want to get into the biblical aspects of it, since the uh, uh, Cain slew Abel type of situation, he wanted to overpower someone else. And that's not okay. That's not how it's supposed to be. Uh, but we have a bill coming into uh, the legislature right now, Senate Bill 683, 683, please look it up. It has already gone through uh, public comment 
And so it may hit the floor to be voted on, which will completely disband the history that we teach in our current um, curriculum in all the school districts. And if the state legislature passes this bill of getting the 1619 project, which has been completely debunked, completely shown that it lies. Basically, instead of saying uh, our country began in 1776 with the Declaration of Independence, they're saying it began in 1619 when uh, people started coming over to America and they wanted to have slavery and wanted to keep slavery. That is not the case. We have to get history back to teaching the founding documents, the founding fathers and their intent their intent was to get rid of slavery. And I have a really good story about that if we have time later with Thomas Jefferson and his intent to get rid of slavery. Um, well before the Constitution was written and long before the Civil War. Yeah, and so um, you're obviously passionate about these, um, your values and the conservative policies. However, it you're in the minority if you win on the school board. So how are you going to um, amplify and implement the conservative voice? Yeah, so what I'm finding um, on my first canvassing today, it went very well. A lot of parents are very concerned with what's going on right now. And uh, in talking to these parents, both myself and then my volunteers that came back and reported back on um, how it went for them, People want change. They do not like what's going on. And as a school board member, I am to listen to the parents and vote based upon what the majority of the parents say. And if there is something that just does not sit right with me, I will vote against it. Or if some, there's something that is like, yes, that's exactly what we need. I will vote for it and I will be a voice of reason on the school board. I believe in respecting all views and all opinions, but in the end, we do have to come to um, some compromise on things, um, but I am not one to compromise my values. I believe in what I believe in. I know what is right for kids in schools and I am there for the students, the parents and the community. I'm not there for the unions, I'm not there for um, others who, who want to be naysayers of public education. Yeah, and so who is your opponent, the incumbent, and what does she want to do during her term? Uh, Susan Greenberg is the, she's been on the school board for eight years. I really don't know what she wants to do. I put a phone call out to her in January before I submitted my papers to run. And just like I did with all the school, current school board members and Susan Greenberg has not called me back yet. Um, I have talked to four other school board members and one of them actually says that her and I have some things in common in regards to family life. Um, but I have not heard back from her, so I don't know. I do know um, she, she has voted for the comprehensive sexuality education curriculum. Um, I also know that she is a proponent of um, the equity stuff that is currently going on in the district, which that means critical race theory. When they talk equity in the district, they're really talking about the critical race theory and, and the um, questioning whiteness and stuff like it, it is so rampant that I cannot tell you how rampant it is. I am, I'm hearing from students, I'm hearing from parents with things that their students are having through uh, CDL learning and I'm hearing from teachers 
um, of the uncomfortableness that has been created in this district because of it. And the meeting I attended on Wednesday was, I could see why it's very uncomfortable right now for a lot of students. Yeah, and why are you the better candidate? I'm the better candidate because of my background. Um, like I said, I if I get on the school board, um, I will be one of the only people on there that has an educational background like I do. I mean, working in education like I have, I understand uh, what it's like to work in the classroom. I understand the pressures of being in the classroom. I also understand um, what special education students need and English as a second language learners need. I actually taught as an English second language teacher for uh, four years of my career um, on various levels. And um, it's very important that we close these achievement gaps and the gaps have severely widened. I've also been on curriculum um, development committees. And so I can lend my expertise there as well. And one thing I did in um, Ben, or not Ben Lapine, in, uh, at Gilcrest School in Klamath County is myself and the other high school teacher that was there. We developed a curriculum in which I'm hoping that we could possibly do in the Beaverton district um, to where we had reading and writing cross curriculum. And it raised the students' test scores from one year to the next by 30 percentage points. Um, and it was very successful. And that's reading and writing and math, reading and writing and science, history, um, because without practicing those skills, they will not develop. They, it's just like playing a sport. You have to practice and keep practicing in order for the skill uh, to become a talent and to be ingrained. That's the same thing. Yeah. And so have you crunched the numbers and figured out if you have a chance of winning Beaverton Zone 1? Yeah, let me show you the screen. I have a really good team um, on my side in crunching numbers, and I'm so very grateful for that. So let me get this up here. So this slide here, overall Beaverton um, School District electorate, there's 183,680 voters in Beaverton. Um, this is the breakdown of the ages uh, here. So you can see uh, 50 to 64 is 23%. And uh, the older ages are the ones that typically vote. And then 35 to 49, these are the ages that typically have kids in the schools currently. And 25 to 34, a little bit, uh, we'll have kids in schools, uh, but this is my target right here on the age demographic that I'm going for. Um, then the breakdown based upon uh, party lines is 34% NAB, 41% DEMS, 19% RS, and then this is uh, independents and other uh, parties. And so uh, my focus here is the NABs, Republicans, independents, and some Dems as well. Because um, again, it, conservative values goes cross party lines and there are Dems who uh, do have conservative values, especially when it comes to schooling and their children. Then we have the breakdown of 51% female and 49% male. Um, 
And so it's a pretty even break right here, but typically it's the women who um, extend a little more interest in their children's schooling, especially at the elementary levels. So there's that. And then we have, can you still see my screen here with the? Yeah. Okay, perfect. So here is the breakdown per election cycle. So it's uh, every two years in the odd years is the election for the school boards and it's always in May. So May 2013, we go across, this is, these are the zones. Uh, so zone one, if we go across, we can see that there's a 36.80% turnout uh, that were cast by voters, but the voter turnout, including undervotes was 23.72%. And this one was high for two reasons. One, it was after a presidential election in 2012. And so the May election after presidential election, which we are currently in, um, is usually higher than in a year that's not after a presidential election because people are still excited. And this last election, we know people are really excited. <laughs> so um, I, I expect it to actually be higher for this current election than even 36% with everything that's going on in the schools. Um, also in 2013, Susan Greenberg did have another candidate. She won by, um, uh, I think she had 20,000 votes and the, her, if I remember correctly, I may have the numbers wrong and her opponent had about 12,000 votes. So she won handily in this election. Um, I don't know much about her opponent in this election here. Um, and then if we look at May 2015, uh, obviously very low voter turnout. So, um, and then again, in May 2017, when zone one was around, and by the way, we have four seats open out of seven. And um, actually here was five because somebody had to leave the board. And so somebody else came on in the interim and they have to put it on the ballot. So that's why there's five here, but it's typically four, three, four, three um, when it comes to that. And uh, again, after a presidential election year, not as exciting because if you notice only one candidate here, there are four candidates here. Um, and I'm not sure, um, or sorry, with that being the case, it's not as exciting because you don't have a lot of competition. This election, every single zone will have two candidates running uh, if somebody else goes on for zone two, as I showed you earlier. And we have until March 17th. So if any of you young folks wanna, that live in zone two want to get on board, um, please turn in your paperwork and we have a team of people that will help you. Um, and I will get you hooked up with them. So, um, but we do need somebody strong to run in zone two. Uh, the candidates so far, other than zone five are um, pretty progressive and will continue if not make things worse in, in the Beaverton district. Um, Leanne Larson in zone five, I think she'll be fine. And then the candidate that should be filing for zone four next week is a good candidate, um, but we'll see what happens on there. Yeah, and so for running for Beaverton School Board, you have, the candidate has to live in the zone, but all of Beaverton votes for the candidate. Correct. And the reason why Beaverton did that is because apparently, I don't know how many years ago it was, 
but there was a cluster, several years, there were clusters of candidates just in one area of Beaverton. And so the rest of Beaverton was kind of being neglected. And so Beaverton wanted to make sure there were candidates that represented all of Beaverton. So they split it up in the zones. And we are very unique in that respect from my understanding statewide because other districts have zones, but they the candidates can be from any zone, like Hillsboro, the candidates are from any zone and the district votes at large. But here, the candidate has to live in the zone, but voted at large. Yeah, and so how can, what can we do to support you? Well, volunteer, lots of volunteer work. If you wanna to donate to my campaign, this campaign, uh, I did my budget for it because I am running against an eight year incumbent and uh, the union and others are going to be throwing a lot of money at this uh, since Beaverton is the third largest district in the state and they wanna keep it progressive. Um, and so donating whatever you can, five, 10, $50 um, for every, $50 donation per single or $100 donation per couple. Um, it is tax write-offable and you get that back on your 2021 taxes. We're in 2020 tax season right now. So 2021 taxes and it's for the whole year, $50 for the whole year. So if you want to donate to other candidates, you know, 10 here, five there, as long as it adds up to 50, you'll get that uh, money back. So it's like free money. Um, and then go to my website, buildbackbasics.com. And that is my campaign slogan, Kids Over Politics, Build Back Basics. I'll put it in there again for people who came in a little bit later. Um, and you can donate there. You can uh, sign up to be, be a volunteer. I am gonna be block walking every weeknight, Monday through Friday, five to eight, and every Saturday uh, for the next 10 weeks. The election's May 18th, and that's 10 weeks away. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. And so um, one last question. You talked about how the the demographic you're targeting is um, leans more conservative um, when talking about schools. So how come the Beaverton School District is passing like the um, comprehensive sexual um, forgot what you said, the CS. Sexuality education, because the school board's not listening to the constituents. And there was a huge outcry uh, from my understanding in 2018, 19, when they're looking at adopting the curriculum and then they adopted it. And there are um, two or three different curriculums per um, level. So elementary, middle, high school that they can pull from. I have currently only seen the Great Body Shop, which is the element one of the elementary level ones. I will be contacting uh, the teaching and curriculum team this next week to figure out what the other ones are. I have been working on trying to find out what the other ones are and I've been hitting roadblocks because what I'm finding is uh, people within the district don't want the public general public to know what is in there, but it is the right to parents to know what is in the curriculums. Um, and when you look at a curriculum, just for future reference, you need to look at the teacher lesson plans because what gets sent home to mom and dad is not necessarily what's in the teacher lesson plans to be taught. 
And uh, I actually have, if you hold on just a minute, I actually have an example. So all of this right here is the great body shop. Oops, all that right there. Oh, you can't see it. <laughs> Apparently it gets uh, something with the screen, but this is the great body shop. This is what gets sent home. I wish I could get it anyway. It's not yeah. for sure. This is what gets sent home and it's very benign. It's not a big deal. But then you go and you look at uh, a teacher's guide and here's the teacher's guide. And it is uh, filled with information that parents should not or would not want their children to learn. Um, so stuff that goes home is benign. What's taught in the classroom when parents aren't there and can't see it is not. And, and sexual education, sexuality education is typically taught in the spring. So we're coming up to that and it's typically taught after spring break. So guess what's coming to your classroom near you? That's ridiculous. Okay, yeah. Well, that's all the questions I have. Let's turn it over to audience questions. All right, guys. Um, so I've got a quick question for you. Um, it's been something that I've been thinking about as we've been going through um, some of the questions or answers you've been talking about. Um, when we talk about the idea of critical race theory, um, I really wanted to find out, you know, especially since there's been a few things that you've said, like, um, or there's been a few things brought up about um, different ethnicities and things like that. When I look at the Beaverton School District's uh, student handbook, it talks about a policy of non-discrimination. And the policy of the Beaverton School District is there'll be no discrimination or harassment of individuals or groups based on race, color, uh, religion, gender, sexual orientation. Um, and critical race theory from everything that I know about it, uh, it is absolute um, discrimination of every, um, of every race, color, gender, all of that. Um, so how do, how do you, how do you feel, or I'm sorry, how does the Beaverton uh, school district justify that when it's in direct conflict with their uh, non-discrimination policy? That is a very good question that I don't have the answer to because um, they passed when Oregon Department of Education came down after the George Floyd tragic death. Um, when everybody went crazy, um, when that came down and Oregon Department of Education came out with their, uh, I, I call it a manifesto for the Black Lives Matter organization. And let me be very clear, Black Lives Matter, little BLM, yes, 100%. Big BLM, corporation, no, they are racist, Marxist organization who wants communism in our country. They are very divisive. And it is not good for our country. And if Martin Luther King Jr. or Nelson Mandela, um, I'm sure they're rolling over in their graves right now with what is going on with that. Um, and so when the Oregon Department of Education came out supporting the big BLM organization uh, information and saying, yes, schools can teach it, the Beaverton School Board um, adopted it and said, yes, their teachers can show the mascot, they can show the raised fist, and this raised fist right here is actually a communist 
um, deal. Think about World War II with Hitler and everything else. Just because the fist is closed, it's it's very much communist. And um, and so I don't know why they adopted it. Probably out of public pressure or or media pressure or whatever the case may be. And it's a small group that is really loud. And people don't want to be called racist. People don't want to be called uh, homophobic. People, I mean, any label. But you know what? It is racist. It is homophobic. It is whatever you want to call it. The critical race theory is tearing down uh, people's identity from all different aspects. And even in the thing that I went to on Wednesday, uh, the person presenting, and I won't put her name out there if you want to go find it, it's on the uh, Beaverton website, from my understanding. Uh, I do have video of it, though. And um, she uh, she was saying that even if you are of darker skin and you agree with the European way, I, I don't even know how she put it. I, it, it was incomprehensible to me that you still have problem with your whiteness and you need to clear yourself of this whiteness. And I just... I, I could not believe what I was hearing. My husband was in the room when I was watching it. And after um, he, we were discussing it and um, he was appalled by it as well. All right. So another question that we have coming in is, it seems to me that many of the insane policies trickle down from OSEA. Uh, should you be elected, how do you envision starting to counter the critical race theory and comprehensive sexual education policies. Yeah, so teachers unions far and wide, the national ones, NEA, AFT, all the way to the state ones, OSEA down to BEA, and some of the other ones, that was weird. Um, they um, all support this. It, they are very, unions by their nature are very progressive. And so they support uh, critical race theory, comprehensive sexuality education, and they pour a lot of money into it. When I was uh, paying my own hard earned dollars to the teachers unions, and then when I needed their help on a particular situation, um, I learned very quickly, they love my money, they would not help me. And so I actually had to go outside of the teachers union. And at that point, I, uh, because of the 2016 um, handing down from the US Supreme Court saying that you can opt out of being in unions, I opted out of being in a union and I quit paying my money in. There's other ways that teachers can protect themselves um, to where they don't have to be in the union. The unions are really not for teachers. They are not for students, they are not for parents, they are not for the community, they are for their own political push and gain, and they have tons of lobbyists at the national and state and local level. And any school board member who is paid with union money, they're gonna be the union's bidding. I will not take one dime of union money, not one. Thank you very much for that. Uh, a question that I have is, a lot of the money from the COVID-19 response and stimulus has gone to schools across the country. Um, when we talk about uh, proper use of those funds, do you see uh, do you see school districts around the country using that uh, relief money in a responsible way? Depends on where you're at. Um, I do know there is tons of money, and with the 1.9 trillion just being passed again, and that is a horrible, 
horrible thing. We're now almost up to 30 trillion nationally. Um, and that money, I know that Beaverton School District has some money set aside. I know the state has money set aside. Um, and from my understanding that this money that's been set aside nationally hasn't even be been touched from the CARES Act. And now they just are hardly been touched from the CARES Act. There's like millions of dollars left in there, billions or something. Um, and, uh, and now they just passed another one. So I'm not sure. I do know that Beaverton School District is going to get a large sum. I believe it was 35 million, um, if I'm not mistaken. No, not 35. I'd have to go back in my notes um, on that. Uh, I have a lot of notes from school board meetings. And, uh, but they are getting a large sum of money to help. And they are going to, um, hopefully, I just listened to a Q&A session for high school parents, get summer school sessions in uh, with this money that they're getting. Is there money that's not going to be used? That's a good question. And some of it won't be used till 2023. We need it now not 2023. All right, I just wanna say, um, if there's any more questions, go ahead and please put those in the chat. Um, and this'll be, that'll probably be the last questions that, that we have out there. I have a question. So um, critical race theory, is that just like um, all white people are bad kind of thing? Or is it more like in depth or something. The the surface of it is white people are oppressors. Anybody who's not white are the oppressed. That's the surface of it. As we dive a little bit deeper into it, and as I have personally dived a little bit deeper into it, it is coming out to be anybody who thinks um, of ranking systems or anybody who thinks that uh, the United States history as it actually happened, um, if you think that way, then you have white thinking. It does not matter the melanin of your skin. And um, I have seen um, uh, black and Hispanic or Latino and uh, other ethnicities and races be called white and they need to get rid of their white thinking um, despite the melanin of their skin. So it's basically, if you don't think the way the progressives thinks, you're racist, you're white, you need to get rid of that thinking. Wow. How as parents, can you make a difference? I'm talking about you or parents as a whole. Uh, I believe it's uh, she's talking about how as parents as a whole can make yeah. it. Yeah, great question. And I have been championing this for many, many years that I've been involved, not only in education, but in um, paying attention to politics for many years. And the school board is the most important governing body in your life. Uh, and then it goes to your city, then it goes to your county, then the state and the national government. The national government has that much effect on your life. The school boards have that much effect on your life. And so going to school board meetings 
and you can speak, uh, depending on the, the school district, anywhere from three to five minutes on any topic you like. So if you see something that you don't like in a school district, even if it's not on the agenda, you can talk to it. And so um, if there's something that you do like and you want to speak on it, then let the school board know that you do like that and bring your friends with you. Because in any situation, any legislative situation from the school board, city, county on up, when you bring more people with you, it's a louder voice and you get heard more than if it's just one here, one there. And um, if you're not liking what you're seeing in the schools and if you have little kids that are about ready to be in school or you're thinking of having a family um, later on in life, uh, think about what's going to happen in five years if we continue on this trajectory. Speak up now. I will say keyboard warriors get nowhere. Action seekers get everywhere. I love that. I think that's a, a great place for us to end our, uh, our viewer questions. Lauren, I'll hand it back off to you. Yeah, so I just wanted to thank everyone and Jeanette especially for joining us this evening and um, sharing her experiences and um, what she hopes to accomplish when she wins. So um, thank you all for tuning in and please check out our website, youngrepublicansoregon.org and consider donating. We, um, to put on these interviews and train and such, we need money. So um, donations are greatly appreciated and um you can if you want to get more involved i posted the email um in the chat it's contact at wireoregon.org we love to have you and we'd love to see you at our next event and even our next planning meeting we have meetings every saturday night at 8 p.m so thank you for joining and have a good rest of your evening and Lauren, can I say something? Because somebody uh, was talking about Corvallis District. Um, I've been working with uh, candidates across the state um, for school board in Clackamas County and actually down in Corvallis area. And there are good conservative candidates all across the state. So no matter where you live, seek them out um, and vote for them and donate to their campaigns as well because they need it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Young Republicans of Oregon podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Rumble. Please consider donating by visiting our website, youngrepublicansoforegon.org. The donations will pay for political trainings for our volunteers, travel expenses so we can spread our message across the U.S., and better tech equipment.